0: Support for WERU provided by the Waldo Independent, the independent weekend voice of Waldo County. Now available on newsstands every Friday, also on the web with frequent news updates at www.maincoastnow.com.
1: The time is 10 o'clock and you're tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with host Ron Beard is next.
0: Opportunities and Challenges in Nonprofit Leadership in Down East Maine. Who came up with that title? Wow, that sounds pretty impressive. But I've got some impressive folks here in the studio who can help us uh, with that topic. Dwayne Shaw is with the Down East Salmon Federation and Down East Rivers Land Trust. Um, welcome to you, Dwayne. Thank you, Ron. And Mary Lowry is here from Skudik Arts for All um, down in the, on the Skudik Peninsula. Mary, welcome to you.
1: Thanks, Ron. Thanks for having us.
0: Great. And we'll be talking with uh, Alan Firth of uh, the Cobbs Cook Community Learning Center um, around 1030 um, to get some of his views. Well, you uh, both represent um, nonprofit organizations, and maybe I'll start um, by asking you a little bit about how you came um, to um, that and, and uh, how you came to your work and a little bit about the organizations that you're working for at this point. Dwayne, we'll start with you. Um, what's, the, what's the history of Downey Salmon Federation?
2: Oh, well, the history goes back quite a ways. Um, 1982, a number of organizations got together, fish and game clubs down east. These were um, anglers mostly at the time that were interested in salmon preservation way back before the listing, and now, of course, it's an endangered species, but they, this group had been advocating for better management of, of salmon and fisheries and, of course, the watersheds that support them. And I was a student at the university at the time and got involved And in, is it? I'm an angler myself, an outdoors person, so I was very interested in kind of come up through the ranks, and the organization's getting larger and larger.
0: Now, some some of you know, some <clears throat> our listeners know um, where you're um, working, but describe that region.
2: <clears throat> yeah, well, I think um, the region that we're working in is is from the Denny's River, which is easternmost Maine, um, west to the Tunk Stream watershed. So. There are five of the listed rivers there. The listed populations of Atlantic salmon that have persisted include the Machias, the East Machias, the Denny's, Narraguagas, Pleasant. And our office and hatchery is located on the Pleasant River in an old hydro uh, hydroelectric dam, which we helped to uh, um, advocate for the removal of that dam because it was a problem for fisheries and it, and it wasn't operating right to begin with. So, um, And we also have a facility over in in uh, East Machias that we're building now. So it's really Washington County, though it extends into Hancock County and the Narraguegas drainage.
0: Mm. And were you there um, when the organization started, or did you come into the organization?
2: Um, I came into the organization, but uh, a lot of the founders are still involved, um, those from back in er the early 80s, which was really the heyday of salmon fishing in Maine, um, in the recent eras anyway. And... um, so I was aware of what was going on, and and became more involved. I was a university student, and then did two years in the Peace Corps. Came back and got involved again uh, with the group, and and um, we've just grown and grown in various various ways. We have several programs, and I guess we'll talk about those more.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you the, the first executive director of the organization? That's right. First okay.
2: executive director. So there must was, have been
0: some challenges in that, we'll talk about that in a Yes,
2: bit. we've developed a membership and we've, we've um, received many, many grants and donations and in-kind support in various forms, so it's been a very creative process and that's what's exciting about it. Right. And, of course, the public's involved in sure. many ways.
0: Sure. Well, Mary, let's hear, l- hear a little bit about Scudic Arts for All. Um, I actually remember that uh, Scudic Arts for All came out of something called Scudic Futures. Um, so maybe you can kind of tell us a little bit about how it came to be and then how you happened to get involved.
1: It did indeed come out of an organization called Scudic Futures. In 1998, um, the Scudic Peninsula was faced with uh, the Navy base closing and withdrawing the population. Um, diminishing the population of the town and the schools, So Scudic Futures formed, and we're trying to address the question, what are we going to do when the Navy base closes? The president of Scudic Futures at the time was Cynthia Thayer, visionary, and she said, let's have an arts festival. And so with almost no money, with $500, she had a two-week-long arts festival with workshops and performances in Winter Harbor in 1999, And I came into Scudic Arts for All as one of their teachers. I am a a watercolor teacher. I teach watercolor painting and drawing. And indeed, at that time, I was also teaching ballroom dance and Latin dance. And anyway, I was one of their teachers from the first Scudic Arts Festival in 1999. Um, And then in the year 2000, during that festival, they started to talk about the need for a year-round executive director. And so... I was hired for that position at the end of 2000. And uh, we, we really grew up together. Scudic Arts for All and I grew up together. Um, we have doubled in size every year since 1999 with the addition of programs and um, the addition of, of performances. And um, we're trying to now kind of get a little bit of a grip on plateauing out. Right now we've got 12 ongoing programs and we'll do about 90 performances this year, mm-hmm. about 90 workshops, 15 art shows. And we're also one of the sponsors of the Scudic International Sculpture Symposium, which is just a wonderful, wonderful event that's going to be taking place over the course of the summer on the Scutic Peninsula.
0: And describe, describe the towns that you're working within, um, just for our listeners.
1: Well, we have our home base in Winter Harbor, at Hammond Hall on Main Street, which is, is a historic performance hall that we've done a lot of restoration work, and it's just the jewel of the community. Uh, so the Scudic Peninsula consists of Winter Harbor, Gouldsboro, Korea, um, Birch Harbor. And One Squeak Harbor. And One Squeak, <laughs> yes. That's actually part of Birch Harbor. Anyway, we, we service uh, uh, Hancock and Washington County. Great,
0: great. Well, I've been told that um, Gary DeLong has joined us by phone. We're glad to have him with us. Gary is with the Maine Seacoast Mission. Welcome to Talk of the Towns this morning, Gary. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for being with us uh, by phone. Uh, Gary, a little bit about, you know, you're probably the oldest organization that we'll be talking about today. Um, Tell us a little bit about the history of uh, Maine Seacoast Mission and how uh, that organization, uh, how you came to that organization.
3: Uh, Well, the Seacoast Mission has... uh been around since 1905 when a couple of congregational ministers who happened to be brothers uh, stood up on Cadillac Mountain, so the mythology goes, and I, I think it's true, and they looked out over the, the uh, bay and uh, realized that the islands were heavily populated then, and a lot of children, a lot of poverty, and uh, a lot of need for initially uh, religious instruction is what they saw themselves doing, but very quickly when they began to go out, they realized that uh, uh, while Sunday school was important, there were a lot of other things that uh, needed to be addressed. And so quickly the mission got involved with education and social services and providing food and clothing and uh, any number of activities, which uh, really has become sort of the the, the uh, brand of the mission, I guess, uh, since then, is uh, spirituality but really uh, taking the form of very practical outreach to uh, make people's lives, uh, healthier and more whole. And, uh, uh, that's, that's been the evolution. Um, I came to it, um, having grown up down in, uh, Beals Island, uh, uh, had scholarships from the mission when I was in college and, uh, my mother had, uh, uh a, uh, maternity home in Jonesport, uh, and the mission had funded it. So I was sort of aware of it as a kid, but, um, uh, came, uh, to a point in my career in Massachusetts as a congregational minister that uh, was looking to do something different and maybe outside the the traditional church setting, and uh, one day the mission called, and it was a fit, and I couldn't wait to get here. So I've been here for the last, uh, in my eighth year, uh, uh, working at the mission. That's wonderful.
0: Um, you are coming into an organization that was um fully formed um in in many ways um which which director are you i mean there are probably a number of people um who kind of stand out in the in the mission's history but um where do you fit into the to the to that to that spectrum
3: yeah there there have been a series i think i'm maybe uh seventh or 8th, uh-huh. uh, six or seventh uh, uh, the uh, uh, Jack Drake, my predecessor, uh, served the mission in a variety of capacities for well over 20 years. And so uh, uh, there have been fairly long tenures um, uh, throughout the years. Um, and, uh, yeah, I came in and was uh, the beneficiary of a, an awful lot of good work that had been done before uh, developing both uh, programmatic uh, you know, credibility and trust on on the islands and, and further down east, uh, and also um, uh, you know financial resources that um, others before me had put in place. So I, I don't face didn't face some of the obstacles or or challenges that that uh, nonprofits that are newer and younger and uh, have to go through.
0: But some others, and we'll talk about some of those other challenges. Um, oh, in a there's few plenty
4: minutes. of challenges.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, you're t- tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're uh, speaking about uh, the opportunities and challenges in nonprofit leadership in Down East Maine, and uh, you can participate as well if you've got questions or comments uh, during the hour. Give us a call uh, toll free at one eight six six. 625-9378. On the line with us, we have uh, Gary DeLong of Maine Seacoast Mission, and here in the studio, um, Dwayne Shaw of Downey Salmon Federation and the Downey Rivers Land Trust, and Mary Lowry of uh, Scudic Arts for All. I'll ask each of you, um, what what excites you about your position? What um, keeps you going? Um, Mary, how do, how do you kind of get up in the morning and face, face your work, uh, the challenges and the opportunities? What do you like about it?
1: Well, I... I, I just feel like I'm one of the luckiest people anywhere to have such a wonderful place to work and a wonderful job. I'm very proud of the program that we do. I think it's one of the outstanding programs in the area in its quality and its diversity. We do everything from um, uh, African drumming to coffee house to children's choruses and, and art shows, so it's really diverse. Um, the thing that I think I like the most is really. Um, Probably the the pride in having quality programs that um, when I attend performances, the, the community is, they, they rush over and say what a great program it is. The whole place sparkles. Hammond Hall with its beautiful wooden walls has seemed to absorb all this good feeling and goodwill and, and community memory. Um, everyone's happy when they come into the hall. It's it's very has a very good feeling. It's it's wonderful uh, having an opportunity to meet all kinds of performers, artists, um, people in all these the interesting genre of the arts. While I'm putting together the programs, I had some nice phone conversations with Ashley Bryan and the Humble Farmer, who are going to be two of our performers this summer. And and it's just a blessing to be able to. To interact and meet these interesting people, so I'm just very proud of the program and our presence in the community and our um, our beautiful building that we've been able to use and, and keep functioning for the greater community.
0: Great, Dwayne, du- what do you like about your position?
2: Well, I think it's all of all of the above. What Mary has touched on are a lot of the the same, though our missions are quite different. Um, there's there is some overlap. The the beauty of the landscape is one thing that we hold near and dear and of course the salmon are part of that and the other fisheries and pulling um, people together to focus on a better future and improved um, conditions currently how how do we all work together and, and the personalities involved and the, the wonderful people involved make it um, really exciting and worthwhile. <clears throat> of course we have a great um, resource to work with. The down East landscape is just uh, phenomenal and, and there's a lot there that's that's uh, worth getting excited about.
0: Mm. Carrie, what what do you like about your uh, position?
3: Um, well, the mission, uh, you know, the, the diversity of it. I think uh, both geographically as well as programmatically because we uh, we focus on spirituality, we focus on education, we focus on uh, help, all in a sense of uh trying to provide access to uh, improved quality and in each of those areas, um, so it enables me to work with uh, people from a variety of uh, skill sets and backgrounds, uh, educators as well as healthcare providers, and uh, we partner with a lot of folk. And so that brings you into contact with uh, people who run other organizations in each of those areas, and that's stimulating and uh, fun. There's just so many people along the coast of Maine who are doing good stuff at a very high high level of uh, excellence and competence, and we enjoy working with them. Uh, of course, what's not to like about uh, every once in a while having to force myself to get on the sunbeam and uh, go <laughs> island to island and uh, pretend that I'm working, you know, and uh, pinch myself and say, well, this this is work as I'm heading into uh, Fox Island thoroughfare or some other uh, spectacular uh, spot along the coast. Um, we. Uh, so, so, you know, that, that's good. It, it's also equally gratifying to be Further down east, and to be uh, uh watching a, a youngster from a family that's had a lot of challenges and difficulties and uh watch that child sort of blossom uh in working with the staff at our at our edge program the after school program uh, and you know we've got two hundred and fifty kids involved in a variety of different ways in in uh, six different schools uh there and uh to to watch a a youngster maybe have an opportunity to do some things through that program that they uh, might not have in other otherwise uh, whether it's uh, uh you know some kayaking or a sailing lesson or or um, uh, you know any number of of outdoor activities as well as the robotics uh, the kind of you know we just took a bunch of kids to a, a statewide robotics tournament and watching their thrill they they did very well they competed against teams from all over the state and they ended up with a kind of a Stanley Cup-like uh, hmm. uh, tradition where they took the cup home. E- e- different youngsters took the uh, the cup home each night, you know, and to watch that that kind of pride uh, evolve uh, through their achievements—it's uh, it's really gratifying.
0: Great. Well, Gary, staying with you, um, let's turn uh, briefly, if you could, to some of the challenges you face as the head of a, in this case, a fairly large and and uh, I would say complex or or diverse organization. What are some of the challenges you face as a nonprofit leader?
3: Well, you know, it it, it uh, I think all of us struggle with. Uh, funding issues you, you know because no matter what your baseline funding is still we all try to live up to and go beyond uh, uh programmatically trying to meet the the needs that our missions point us to uh, toward and uh, as a result uh you are constantly worried about uh, the challenge of of uh, exciting donors and and foundations and others to, to help you meet the needs that exist uh, along, along this stretch of coast. Uh, and it's, you know, it's never ending because you don't, so many programs that I have visited in urban areas, uh, they all, um, I'm sure they would argue that they have funding issues as well, but they tend to uh, reside in the shadow of Fortune 500 companies and, and uh, a donor base of density that, uh, you know, it's, it's easier to be able to get people to see why they should support something that's in their own backyard. Here, all of us are trying to often get people to fund things that they don't see every day and uh, and that they're quite removed from. So that's that's a, it's always a challenge, and uh, and it's a challenge to uh, you know support staff and uh, and uh, keep them uh, uh, in, in a in a place where they feel. Uh, good about what they're doing, especially uh, the further down east you get. Um, it's a lifestyle, and it's a it's a a way of life, and a, and a remote. There's a remoteness to it that it's sometimes hard to. Uh, you, you have to find just the right people who uh, enjoy uh, that, and and who who see all the plus signs that most of us who who grew up down there uh, understand. But uh, sometimes that's that's you know there's it's it's not. Uh, it's not Portland uh, by a long shot, and um, so, you know, those are those are some of the challenges, both the the, the, the ge- geography and remoteness, as well as uh, uh, constantly uh, having to inspire people to to see the good that we're doing and and to get them to commit to it and to build a relationship with those people that they feel good about what they're doing and get them down here. Uh, we're lucky in some ways that we have the the sunbeam and we've been using it. More and more to bring people on board and take them out to actually see what we're doing because uh, you know once you've once you have that first-hand experience, it makes it easier to see what your your money is doing. But thanks, those, Gary. Those are a couple of the challenges.
0: Great. Let's turn to uh, Dwayne Shaw and find out um, as he leads the Downey Salmon Federation. Uh, Dwayne, what are some of the challenges that you see as a nonprofit leader?
2: Well, I think we have the same challenges in terms of uh, certainly with funding and costs that are changing constantly and. And of course, increasing. Um, we, we are a grassroots organization, very fairly young, relatively young, and small but growing, and operating in operating in a part of the country, part of Maine that's a uh, very limited population to to draw from for leadership as well as for funds. So it's a matter of, I think, for us, staying in touch with with the um, the grassroots nature of the work that we do and to try to draw upon funds from possibly outside the region to support the work that is really of a regional, if not national, significance. We're, we're working with a species that's been in decline for some time, and, and there's uh, often a, a sense of despair that things cannot um, improve, but we know otherwise, and we've, we've cast the net further. We're looking at, at uh, success stories from around the world, with Atlantic salmon and other species, and of course, any environmental um, program faces particular challenges in terms of um, operating within the context of the land use that within that region. Um, of course, there's, there are issues that affect directly affect salmon and salmon habitat and other fisheries, and we we need to um, we need to negotiate our way through through those. Um, through those topics with the community and with the landowners, and that's very sensitive at times and, and can get us into um, places that are not always comfortable. Mm-hmm. So and dealing with those
0: conflicts, um, you know, that's, that's a challenge.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's and I think that's true with social services and mm-hmm. and, and other, uh, other aspects of sort of quality of life
0: mm-hmm. issues. And that notion of, of despair, certainly when you're dealing with social situations um, in places like Washington County, you can also um, imagine that that leads to despair and you have to work your say out of that
2: yeah and i think that um there's, people can jump to the conclusion that that's the only context that we work within and yes. that's certainly not the case i think that there's a underlying sense of um hope and and positive um feelings about the community in general and and about fisheries recovery i think that mm-hmm. we know that some of these things are possible we like we said uh, like i've mentioned out elsewhere around the around the world we can look at uh, examples here striped bass for instance were nearly extinct at one time and they were, they've been managed to be brought back and <clears throat> i had an example yesterday of of um we were at a conference about atlantic salmon and someone said well how, how is it possible to build these back up we're talking about a handful of fish here and and the geneticist who was there said well look at look at Newfoundland and look at the moose population in Newfoundland is one of the healthiest in the on the continent and it was built off from four moose that were that mm. were brought there at one mm. time so the population uh, structure was based entirely on four individuals and so that's an example
0: great great mary what uh, what are some of the challenges you face as the leader of uh, down east uh, excuse me uh, scuddy Guards for all
1: well Certainly one of the challenges that that comes to play in the office every day is that we have a very extensive program and a very small staff. Um, I I listed 90 performances and workshops and, and so on and um, and And also restoring a historic building i 'm the only full time staff person, and we have a, a wonderful part time office manager and um, a seasonal staff, but certainly keeping all those balls juggling in the air at the same time, everything from getting the skunk out of the basement to dealing with the handicapped ramp <laughs> um, that 's a challenge, but you know for the organization actually one of our one of our biggest challenges and I think we're doing a a very good job of meeting that challenge uh, because we're doing careful work around it, is um, living up to our name, which is Scudic Arts for All. And when we use the for all, our our goal is to uh, produce top-quality programs at a price our community can afford. And as a result of this, um, we keep our prices low and the, the prices of tickets and tuition really only covers about a third of what the programs cost. The other two-thirds come one-third from grants and another one-third from private donations. So we're trying to build that um, funding base up tickets and grants and donations, and now moving into the business community and looking for actually looking for sponsors for some of the programs. But because we live in a rural area, there's not a lot of big industry, and a lot of the businesses around here are small or cottage industry businesses that really can't afford to give a, a large lump of money and are generous up to where they can become be generous. So a challenge is really trying to bring the, the big business community in as sponsors. We want the artists and performers to be able to make their living in Maine or we're not going to have any artists or performers in Maine. And so we need to pay them a price that they can live on. And I I want to add and and really be clear that the artists that have been working for us have been amazingly generous in working with us for a price that we can actually afford. It's amazing. So um, the the challenges that we face, of course, are funding... And because of that, we're trying to keep our prices at a price that the community can afford and still be able to pay our artists. Mm.
0: So all of you are working with a nonprofit structure that implies that you have a board of directors. Um, who would like to tackle that in terms of, of uh, how do you um, find people that are willing to step up and be board members, and how do you support them as they do their work? would like to tackle that. Mary, you want to start with, with that challenge and then we'll um, see who else wants to participate?
1: Okay. Well, that this is a conversation that's very timely because Scudigarts for All right now is working on a board development uh, program. Um, the board of directors that we have um, are hardworking people that really in many ways function as unpaid staff. They do a lot of the the work and time that needs to be done, but we, we don't have the staff power to do. For example, they coordinate the volunteers, they stuff and stamp envelopes, they bake, they fundraise, um, and they also supply uh, the governing of the organization. They, they they apply their judgment and their minds and their hearts to doing the thing that they feel is the best thing for the community and for Scudic Arts for all. We've just... Um, implemented an advisory board this year, and that board consists of people that we can go to for advice as needed. They're not coming to monthly board meetings for governing board members, but they are um, people that we can ask for help in different Areas financial, for example. As a matter of fact, Matt Murphy from WERU is on our advisory board, so we're very excited about this new addition.
0: Great, Gary. I understand that you have to leave us in a few minutes. Maybe you'd talk.
3: Actually, to me. I, I, I'm fine, Ron. If uh, you know, I, I've been able to rearrange things. Uh, I can I can be with okay. you as long as you need. But uh, uh, yeah, I uh, appreciate uh, being able to join you by phone. The the, the board, uh, the mission uh, uh, has a wonderful board. It has a nominating committee that. That is constantly always looking. We have a 25 person board, which happens to be right up to uh, full. Uh, we, we can have up to 25, and uh, we have that many at the moment, uh, split almost equally between uh, men and women, and split almost equally, actually, weighted more toward year round uh, versus uh, uh, seasonal people who are here uh, for six months or so. Uh, uh, the miracle of uh, of uh, conference calls and all enables uh, more and more of our board members to join us pretty much year-round by by phone when they're not right in the area. But uh, it's always amazing to me how much uh, time people are willing to give to nonprofits. I mean, uh, we're in a strategic planning process right now. It means that uh, there's a group of our board members, a, a core group that are uh, working on the on the strategic plan that uh, they meet uh, for four and a half five hours um, in addition to other committees and and uh, the the regular board meetings that meet every other month uh, they uh, they meet once a month for a, a full uh, you know twelve thirty in the afternoon until five o'clock and uh, uh, it just uh, you know humbles me at times uh, the the amount of time that people are willing to give in order to uh, see that a nonprofit is is managed well in order to fulfill their you know there's an awful lot of of uh, obligations that uh, in, in terms of governance uh, fiduciary uh, responsibilities that board members have to be mindful of these days and uh, that they they do that with um, uh, you know a commitment level that uh, is always pretty amazing to me and they and they do it without uh, sort of falling into the trap of Micromanaging. Uh, they expect the staff to manage day by day, but they are constantly sort of uh, looking to hold us accountable, as well as to make sure that uh, uh, that donors and and the and the money that people entrust to us is being uh, uh, you know watched over and, and expended in in ways that are that are aligned with our mission and and what it is that people expect from their money, and to keep the overhead. Costs low, and all of those things. So it's it's a it's a, it's a partnership between staff and 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 volunteer leadership that uh, that works well. In most most nonprofits, you always hear some horror stories, but uh, for the most part, I find people that I know, nonprofits like the other people that are on the show with me, work with board members that are just uh, incredibly faithful.
0: Mm. You're tuned to, to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about nonprofit um, leadership and the challenges and opportunities therein, here in Downeast Maine. Um, on the phone with us is Gary DeLong of Maine Seacoast Mission. Mary Lowry is here from Scudic Arts for All, and Wayne Shaw is here from Downeast Salmon Federation and the Downeast Rivers Land Trust. Um, you kind of uh, think about a spectrum of, of a board that really gets in and does everything, as Mary says, that licks envelopes, and then you You've got a, a board that, um, for a, a kind of a, a long-standing organization like Main Seacoast Mission, where the board is 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 mostly concerned with policy, although they're certainly mm-hmm. um, volunteering as well. Dwayne, where does your board fit into that spectrum?
2: Well, our board is, <clears throat> excuse me, much more like um, Mary's board in terms of being actively engaged in in the uh, hands-on activities to to an extent, and but beyond and above that, they also need to be. Um, very much involved in the fiduciary, this responsibility that um, I think one thing worth noting is that we're not typically trained how to be board members in this society, How to what that responsibility looks like, how does someone come into this um, maybe with very um, um, solid commitment to the mission but not uh, a full understanding of what all of these responsibilities are because this is a um, it is a legal corporation under the IRS rules, and there are certain obligations, and a board member has to um, comply with those obligations. and 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 I think that that's one of our challenges is in enlightening people to this, keeping them excited about it, without getting into all of the yeah. the hard details of the IRS the stipulations and so on, which are all negotiable and and in our um, but are a challenge. Mm. and And I think that. It takes people by surprise, people come onto our board, and this is not unusual. I think that um, and they're a little bit surprised at the uh, paper trail that that we need to leave and the and the responsibilities that we have <clears throat> and they um, have to come up to speed quickly on that mm. so we're we're looking to groups like the maine association of nonprofits and maine philanthropy center and others to to help us with that and they're local uh, we have a collaboration among our organizations down east with um, other nonprofits so that we help each other out and we help um um well, just help each other out. And, mm.
0: So this network that you're you're part of, and and uh, I should disclose as well that I'm helping out with this organization, um, or this 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 network allows you to talk about um, the issues that we're talking about today, um, in a in a kind of a uh, network sense.
2: That's right. Yeah. I I think that there's a a real need, and maybe something along the lines of a um, adult education program, or or something like that. So at some level, where people who are interested in being on a board could get a good briefing before mm. and a little bit of training. And, and I know certain of those opportunities exist, but um, nonprofits really do so much for our society. And I think that very few people truly understand how they operate unless you've been on a board and for some time. Then <clears throat> you might not have a full grasp of what those responses were what those responsibilities are. Mm.
0: So you're su- suggesting maybe at the high school level or adult ed that we train people to be board members, but you're having to do it individually probably. That, in, that's in right. Your, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm going um, to ask Gary one more question so that we can then get uh, Alan Firth on the line um, as well. Um, Gary, um, maybe your your uh, organization, longstanding, how do you know that you're doing the right thing? How do you make sure that your um, programs are really being true to your mission, And I suppose? the board has got some oversight as well as as you as as the uh, executive director uh
3: well yes i mean the the board uh is is constantly uh monitors that you know is you know because it's easy for uh it's easy for non-profits to get caught up in what we um refer to as mission creep. Uh sometimes uh a grant will come along that you say, "Wow, well, that's sort of like what we do and it would be nice if we had that money." And and you go after it and the first thing you know it pulls you in a certain direction that maybe is not exactly what you uh were uh you know set out to do and uh uh, you have to be careful of that because pretty soon the mission creep pulls you here there and everywhere and so it's it's every once in a while you have to stop and take a look and say you know are are we doing what what uh, we're supposed to be doing and uh, that's why we we've committed to uh, strategic planning every at least every uh, 3 to 5 years uh, and really kind of look take a really long look at us, both internally externally uh... what's going on in the in the areas that we serve and and as part of that we bring in uh, constituents we bring in people that uh, are in the service area that we relate to and we ask them you know what do you think of what we're doing Um uh... is it, is it going well or is this just something we dreamt up that we thought you needed or is it is it uh... is, is, is this what you need and uh... we're, we're currently doing an a Ten Island uh, health initiative uh, where we have uh, constantly throughout this process uh, talked to Islanders about well what what what's the level of health care that uh, we can help uh, have you get access to and and you know what what are the real needs not just what we might uh, assume are the needs so it's a constant process of uh, asking and, and looking and making sure that uh, you know you're, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing
0: Great. Well, thanks for being with us, Gary. We're going to um, let you go so that we can pick up uh, Alan Firth uh, from Cobscook Learning thanks Center. Ron. Uh, thanks, Thanks for you. being with us, uh, Gary DeLong of Maine Seacoast Mission, and happy to welcome Alan Firth uh, of Cobscook Community Learning Center. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Alan
4: so much. Now, did Gary just get off the
0: phone or yes, was he, he right there in the office? No, he uh, he was with us by phone, so we've let him go and brought you on. And I'll just remind listeners that if they've got questions or comments, they can participate by phone by giving us a call at 1-866- 625- 9378. Perhaps you're a, a new board member for a nonprofit and you've got a question about that. Or perhaps you're a director or a staff member of a nonprofit and you've got some questions or comments for our guests. Again, the number 1-866-625- five nine three seven eight and as I said joining us by phone is Alan Firth of the Cobscook Community Learning Center Alan just a thumbnail sketch if you would about uh, the, the Learning Center and, and your work there
4: thank you very much um, so the Cobbs Cook Community Learning Center is located here in eastern Washington County we're a nonprofit organization providing uh, community education for all ages it's um, delivering programs responsive to Uh, Needs or interest expressed by folks in this region. So our programs are very diverse. Uh, We run everything from uh, music lessons to uh, we deliver um, alternative undergraduate and graduate degree programs through partnerships with uh, colleges and universities. We have art studio space. We offer literacy programs Um, It's an extremely diverse program. People can visit our website, www.thecclc, to get a map, a vision map of uh, the kind of programming that has been articulated by people in this region um, that we work to help bring to life.
0: broad program. We've asked um, the uh, guests in the studio, who are uh, Mary Lowry and, and uh, Gary—excuse uh, me, uh, Dwayne Shaw—about some of the, the joys of, of, of being a nonprofit leader and some of the challenges. Maybe you'd comment on each of those uh, for us and for our listeners.
4: Sure, and I want to say hi, Mary, and hi, Dwayne. You're right there. Hello. <laughs> <No. laughs> um, the joys and challenges. I guess the, the best thing about it for me is I totally love this work. I love. Um, getting up and coming to work every day and uh, and really enjoy the people that I work with, both on the staff level and the folks that are here uh, working with this program. And, and I guess what's also true and is probably true for uh, the other folks that you've had here talking is um, this morning I was in a conversation with a person from Georgia and a person from Western Mass and a person from Vermont talking about collaborations and the nature of our work um so, so I love um, this world of community education. It's, it's a passion of mine. It's been a lifelong passion. The challenges of a nonprofit, and I think these are specific to the CCLC and those of you out there who are trying to start up a nonprofit or an organization rather than um, participating in something that's well-established, is um, that it's hard that the opportunities to succeed or the, or the chances of success are relatively thin. And uh, so it's easy and, and fun to get behind an exciting idea. It's an enormous responsibility and challenge to uh, imagine it into existence. And, um, and I would also say that, and there's a, another question that you forwarded for us, Ron, that I, I come into this work as an educator, a community educator, and i 'm now an executive director,
3: mm. and
4: those are two different fields of uh, of expertise and so i 've had to uh, stay at the front edge of my learning curve throughout all of this, and the whole organization has
0: mm. So uh, I guess ask all three of you, um, what has that – none of you were executive directors of an organization before you entered this. What, what, what have you learned about the, 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 the role of executive director? Um, start with you, um, Alan, and then we'll go to Gary and, and – excuse me, to uh, Duane and to uh, Mary. What have you learned about that? that
4: yeah, what I've learned is um, – um, and this is true for any artist or expert in a field, is uh, people can look at what you've produced and not have any idea about what is needed to know and understand and uh, see in order to be able to do or produce what people produce. So I guess what I appreciate is the magnitude and the depth of the work that is required to do this. Um, I consider myself still a neophyte, even with the experience I have with all of this. So, so there's a lot to learn, I believe the biggest thing that is an asset for an executive director is an ability to listen and communicate, and that we have to hold a a very broad overview of vision, where are we going, and also attention to details. As Mary frequently points out, we do everything from unplug the toilets to uh, to facilitate and participate in in long-term planning
0: Mm.
4: and the day-to-day work of getting there.
0: Um how about how about you dwayne what have you learned about being an executive director
2: well, let's see there's a lot of things and i i came into this as as a biologist really and and what I've found is that um the details are a um, a huge part of the work and that and that starts right from as we've said the ground up and but I think what's most important is that we don't, um, as executive directors, we have to stay focused on the, the mission and keeping res- being responsive to the, the initial purpose of the organization. As Gary had mentioned, mission drift and so on. Um, we need to be good listeners, as Alan said, and that, I think, is really the key. Mm-hmm. And, and um, finding the right support. We, you really can't do it all yourself, you have to at some point say, um, I need help, and you you have to go find it. And, mm. of course, that's true with, with anything. And that right, but do. I, th-
0: I think there's something in- interesting about being the executive director of a, a nonprofit. If you are looking for that kind of support um, from your staff, you may not be able to feel comfortable there. You may not be able to get that kind of support from your board because that you know that's kind of sharing some things that you may want to do that, so where do you get support
2: i think I think that there are organizations as I've mentioned the main association of nonprofits and and others and of course now on with the web and so on but I think that um, there's support beyond that the the um, act, activities that we're involved with are um, sometimes quite difficult to to work with, and and we need support beyond sort of the administrative support. We need spiritual support, and, um, and I think that that's something that has to be acknowledged going into that position. It's just a huge amount of responsibility, both with employees. I think we all have some employees that we're working with. We're, we're talking about human resources and um, policy, developing policies, so that we are treating people fairly and and our our communities and so on that we work with, we're we're working with them fairly, mm. and we're responsive to them, and we're we're um, also um, visible uh, in terms of people can see what how the organization operates. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mary, what have you learned about being an executive director, and where do you get support for, for this?
1: Well, I came into this position as an artist, and. Uh, I never saw the inside of a filing cabinet in my life until I took this position. So my learning curve was steep and exciting. Um, one of the things that I've learned, and I think it ties into support, is that I, I really learned the value of inclusion in uh, in including members of the community as real stakeholders, real stakeholders in a tangible way, um, making... Making the, the laying, laying the framework for members of the community to feel like they are really a member of the family of Scudic Arts for All. And that can happen in, in very ground level ways. When we have our junior high chorus singing at Hammond Hall, they often say, Can I sweep the floor? Which is an interesting thing for me to hear an eighth grader say, but they feel like it's their place, it's their building, and I think that part of the inclusion is is what really brings our our name back scudic arts for all. Um, another thing that I've learned that I think is um, very important as a leader is is really um, exercising professional judgment on many levels, whether that's uh, selecting a performer or an artist or deciding on a workshop or or actually meaning also being the face of the organization to the community. Uh, it's a rather, I think the leaders of nonprofits have a rather public place in the community and um, it's it's up to us to make the organization accessible to the members of the community. Mm. Um, Ron, can I add Yes, please, that? please.
4: That's okay. Yep. Um, and and I, this has to do with where do we get supports, and I think uh, what I've heard um, from Duane and Mary is there's supports at lots and lots of levels, but I also think that um, we, as executive directors, both um, support our staff and organization and one another by taking care of ourselves, and um, and so it's, it's very important, and perhaps you've already noted this, but uh, the, the folks that are on the phone here have been supported by meeting with other nonprofit uh, executive directors for several years to uh, share our stories, to identify some of the common um, questions that we may have or very tangible challenges. You know, right now there's a conversation about what kind of software helps us mm. manage and navigate um, uh, donors you know, a donor base, that's a huge piece of work that can make a big difference for us. So so the, uh, the folks at Maine Community Foundation and CF Adams Trust have been enormously helpful, and then for uh, Mary and myself, we participated in a group called Paddling the Rapids for executive directors, which meets uh, regularly, and that's been a fantastic thing. Um, we participate to share uh, supports, and what we find in this work, which is not the most stable um, place to find employment that we always find uh, things that are needing to be navigated and, um, and that by working collaboratively and being a support that we uh, navigated them well.
0: Mm. List so those our, are important. That's great, and and I'll just list our phone numbers uh, one more time. Um, you may not be able to get on on the on the air, but our engineer will take your question and relay it to us. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. As you um, participate in this morning's talk of the town, we're talking about nonprofit. Um, of where to, um, where do you learn your job um, as nonprofit leaders, and where do you get um, support? Um, as you think about th- those two questions, uh, Mary used the word judgment. Um, um, where do you get um, feedback around judgment, Mary, in terms of your judgment as a you know w- what to do in any particular situation, or um, it may be um, as you do your planning? Where, where do you get support around that? Is that from your board? Is that from the community members? Um, where do you get that support?
1: Well, where do you get support for judgment? Um, certainly there's a lot of feedback that comes from the general public. Um, sometimes at a performance, there'll be a, a person that rushes over and says, this is a great idea, I have a great idea, do you want to do this, do you want to work with me? I get emails, and I want to encourage anybody to do that. So, so judgment can be um, trying to take a look at really what the community is asking for, rather than maybe imposing our will on the community.
0: Mm. Uh, Alan, you've also mentioned that sense of, of, of staying close to the community and what it wants. Would you agree with Mary on that particular case?
4: Um, absolutely. I think that's uh, a critical place for feedback, and um, you know, we, we see that and we measure it um, all the time in terms of who's showing up, who's there, what's the diversity in the room. Um, so that's that's an assessment piece. The judgment um, calls, I think, um, and there's, is I have a board of directors and staff and community members, and um, I try to be sure that any of the decisions we make um, are known. And, and so Duane also mentioned transparency. And so um, I really count on that broader circle of feedback and uh, can move forward with a lot more confidence when people know where we're going.
0: Collectively, mm. so that's very important. Dwayne, anything you want to add to that whole question about how you how you get support for making good decisions? And
2: well, I think living in the community makes a big difference in in the work that we do. We're we're right there. All of our board members um, are right there on a full time basis. And when you go to the gas station, you get gas. Sometimes you get feedback there, <laughs> and yeah. just on the way to the. Uh, on the way to the office, you might get feedback in two or three places if you stop in two or three places. <laughs> that's so it's, right. I think it's a bit of a public uh, position, as as Mary noted, and and I think that uh, you need to take the time. You need to be willing to to take the time and listen and and take the heat if need be, and 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 um, at some and we make mistakes. That's mm. that's mm. a part of it. Is that. Um, the judgment is is not always the right judgment, and even if it's bounced through your your boards and your advisory committees and so on, um, you still may be may find that you've taken uh, the wrong direction at some point, and recovering from that is um, a process in itself, and that that mean, may mean you drive back to the gas station and have another conversation. <laughs> but I think that that's a, a huge part of how our particular organization has been able to function in working with landowners and the schools and the communities and the, the larger landowners the smaller landowners the i didn't, I have just an example that just happened yesterday i was <clears throat> I was approached by um, a person with the main aquaculture association and at times the salmon federation the wild salmon people have had concerns about aquaculture salmon but at times we also have uh, similar concerns about for instance water quality and and we were approached. Um, there's a bill in the legislature that will limit pesticide use. Well, the Maine Aquaculture Association has, has jumped in behind that. Apparently, the Maine Lobstermen's Association has. And the question comes to us: How about you guys? Well, we live in the midst of um, an area where there's a lot of uh, pesticide use, and we, we want. And many of our members are blueberry growers, and so we have. We need to be looking at details. And we need to set standards by which we gauge our response. And sometimes it's um, um, you have to be willing to take some Mm -hmm. heat too.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that there may be listeners that um, either are starting nonprofits of their own or or beginning that process. So I'll ask each of you as we begin to wrap up the hour: What advice would you have for someone who's really getting started, or if you had it to do over again? You know, as as because each of you in this in this particular case, Gary Long uh, being an exception. Um, he came into a position. I think each of you have helped create the organization. Um, what would you do differently, or what advice would you have for um, folks who are just thinking about? Oh, I think we need a nonprofit to do this in our community. Um, we'll start with with Alan. What what advice would you have, Alan? Are you there?
4: Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> You're thinking, okay. <laughs> I'm trying to think about what I would say to somebody okay, well, the... who's trying to start. Uh, actually, in the last year, I've had um, three friends. Work with groups to start nonprofits, and um, I think I think it's an outstanding um, piece of work. And and I guess um, to wish people well along the journey. <laughs> That's what I would do mostly is to say follow it and and know that you're in for um, uh, quite a ride. Mm. And um, so it, the way will be to uh, to be resilient to. Be patient to know that it's a much longer journey and a much windier journey than you think you're getting into.
0: It's <laughs> great and that there's
4: a lot you don't know about that you'll
0: find out about. Uh huh. How about Mary? What would what, what advice would you have, or what what thoughts would you have if you were to do it over again?
1: Well, let's start with the idea of what what advice I would give to someone that was starting starting a nonprofit. And and I think the I think the first piece of advice that I would give would be to um, the, build a nonprofit profit and surround yourself with people who have a passion for your mission, um, people that are committed to the mission, people whose hearts are with the mission. That's the start. Then when things are underway, then you can start to bring in people who have expertise in the fields that are required maybe financial and legal and fundraising. But that startup is all heart and passion. Mm. That's
2: great, great. I I really agree with that. Uh, One suggestion I would have would be to uh, do an exhaustive search beforehand to make sure that you're not reinventing the wheel or that you couldn't in some way directly partner or come under the umbrella of another similar nonprofit and really really searched that out before because there's no need to reinvent the wheel. A lot of the administrative pieces can be set in place already. And um, there are a lot of nonprofits, and Maine is, has a huge number of nonprofits, and um, we're all competing um, with each other to, to an extent. And the, the more that we can collaborate and, and in some cases merge, um, I think we may be better off as a community of nonprofits in general,
0: mm-hmm. as we think about this region, um, the Down East region, I was thinking of, of if you were um, working in an urban area, you'd probably um, get together with nonprofit leaders and you'd be anonymous. You know, you, you could kind of hide that. As you said, you're kind of out in the in the open. Um, people are seeing you. But as you think about the the Down East region and and the wealth of nonprofits um, that exist there. Talk a little bit about your hopes um, as as we look at the future. Um, uh, the Down East region is a very special region. It's got lots of those passionate people. Um, what would you see the future of of nonprofits in in that in that area? How do you see th- your futures and and the future of nonprofits? Who wants us to start with that?
2: I, I guess I'll jump in. I'm directly across the table from you, Ron. <laughs> You're looking at. Um, I think that nonprofits are an integral part of of the landscape, in that and it's likely that uh, they'll become more and more necessary as time goes on. As our government uh, is less able to respond to the needs, I think that nonprofits will have to step up to the plate. And that, and people, of course, over the centuries have always been willing to do that. And I think we'll continue to see, um, if not an increase in, in uh, support for nonprofits, at least stability in terms of uh, nonprofit support. So, I think by all means we're part we're here to stay, and we need to be um, organized and and coordinated and really uh, focus ourselves and and try to reach out to other other nonprofits and and two, I think that um working with the governmental agencies is is crucial, and there are so many wonderful people working in the agencies they have limitations in terms of what the agencies can do, but there's there's often uh, opportunities for partnership there that haven't been fully exhausted. Well. Mm.
0: Alan, how about you? What, what's your sense of the future of nonprofits in down east Maine? Well, I guess I went back
4: when you asked the question to, to uh, and I'm sorry I missed the first half of this uh, program, Ron, but just even trying to identify what is a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And so, Michael, I guess I really landed to what is my hope down East Maine, sure. And I'm not so much invested in being a nonprofit as being part of the of the community fabric here. Mm. And um, so I'd be just as happy to find another way to do this. Uh, but we are driven by uh, donation and grants, and and the nonprofit status uh, supports that type of existence. Ultimately, I'd like to find a way to um, have this work be so strongly embedded in our society and our community that the focus on that uh, fundraising uh, fever um, subsides. Mm. So my hope is that Down East Maine is blessed with the vision that drives the nonprofits forever, mm. whether it's around environmental and land issues or social and cultural uh, structures like the CCOC. I want this place to be rich with people that are thinking about it, engaged in those activities. If nonprofit structures are what support that, I want them to be strong and healthy for a long time.
0: Great well,
4: work—that's most important to
0: me. Thank you, um, Mary. What's your sense of of the future for uh, for the Down East region and for nonprofits?
1: Well, I want to echo what Alan is saying in in the the way that I my hope for Scudig Arts for All. Is that uh, my hope is that our organizations become an integrated part of the community where the community feels like they are a part of the organization, and that the organization is part of their everyday lives, the mm. everyday lives of the community, where kids feel like they are participants and it 's all there for them, and they 'll have a lifetime of participation in uh, the the world of the nonprofit sector of the arts of the environment and of education.
0: Mm. Well, thank you to all of you. I think with nonprofit leaders like you, that future will, in fact, uh, come to pass. And I really thank you for not only your work in your own organizations and your work in Down East Maine, but for being with us here on uh, Talk of the Towns. We've come to that time, when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us on the second Friday at this time for Family Radio Forum, and on the third Friday of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coranak on a Balmain House Highland Music recording. Our shows are now archived on WERU.org. Click on Archives. Thanks once again to our guests in the studio: uh, Dwayne Shaw of the Downey Salmon Federation, Mary Lowry of the Downey—excuse me, the Scudic Arts for All. Um, Alan Firth of the Cobsco Community Learning Center would join us by phone as well as Gary Delong of Maine Sea Coast Mission. Thanks to those of you who are listened and Anna Samowitz of Orland is uh, joining us as a first time and uh, for the first time as a new member. so thank you, Anya, for uh, joining us um, on WERU. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks for Amy Brown for engineering our program and stay tuned for on the wing with Joel Raymond. Joel Raymond, yes, yes. Okay, this is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. ¶¶